J. Guru Dave. Registration is now open for Tom's 2024 Australian tour. Once again, Tom will be giving knowledge sessions and group meditations, as well as a four-night, five-day rounding retreat in Jeringong. If you haven't learned Vedic meditation yet, Tom will be teaching Vedic meditation while in Sydney, as well as advanced techniques to those who have already learned Vedic meditation. Tom's Australia tour runs from June 6th to the 30th, and you can find out more at tomknowles.com slash Australia. Jay Gurudev. Welcome to my podcast, The Vedic Worldview. I'm Tom Knowles. We're hoping that the two gentlemen who are going to meet each other for the first time on stage this evening are going to address that mystery of unconditional happiness. Happiness that is entirely of your own making without any need for outside influence. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think it was um, Henry Brooks Adams who said, a teacher affects eternity. He can never tell where his influence stops. And that's true of a teacher, I suppose, but it's actually true of all of us in the sense that we are all responsible for what we do because it has repercussions. And that's the great lesson of Buddhism, certainly. It's the notion of karma. But Buddhism has its origins in a much more ancient tradition, the Vedic tradition, and Tom Knowles is here as a great practitioner of that. He mastered the art of meditation from the age of 20 uh, in India, and he started teaching, and he hasn't stopped since, and I think he's influenced a great many uh, people's lives and the lives that go beyond theirs. He's a Maharishi of the Vedic meditation tradition, and it's his first appearance here at the Rubin Museum of Art, so we're so delighted to welcome him. And it was his notion that he might sit together on stage with another teacher from a very different tradition, but maybe they'll share something in common. Rabbi Eitan Yadeni is here from the Kabbalah Center. He's uh, one of the great students of the Kabbalist Rav Berg, who of course founded the Kabbalah Center, and in his footsteps he has been promoting Kabbalah around the world and has uh, founded a number of centers, but he's based here largely. We're happy to to say, and he's flown in specially to be with Tom this evening. So together, they're proposing to have a conversation about what happiness means in their respective traditions and what they might share and what they might not. Please welcome Aidan Yardeni and Tom Knowles to the stage. Thank you. I think the first question is the difference between illusionary happiness and real happiness. Because we're all aware that when things happen our way, or when we get what we want, it's not necessarily create joy, happiness, and peace. And other things makes us happy. So what's really first the differences. How do we define in a down-to-earth way the difference between illusionary versus real Thank you, what a great question. I'll try to be brief. And I think that the answer is sustainability. 
The illusionary happiness is based upon a lack of information about a better possibility. So if I'm happy because I have a beautiful living room and I'm happy because I have a nice partner and I'm happy because of this, my happiness is going to disappear as soon as I find out about something better. <laughs> and that's not sustainable happiness. So that kind of happiness is based upon ignorance of something better. And then I have to maintain my ignorance if I want to stay happy. And so ignorance-based happiness. And the other kind of happiness you know very well about because I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> and it's that kind of happiness that is based on being, knowingness. It's based upon a direct experience of something deep inside that doesn't require stimulation in order to be happy. I would call it the supreme inner contentedness. Supreme. I'm going to stay there, otherwise I won't be brief. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally agree. Um, in a simple way, I would say that temporary happiness would connect more to illusionary, the fact that it doesn't last. And lasting fulfillment and lasting happiness, it's something that we all, we're all looking for. And the truth is, if we're asking what is driving us in life, we're driven to be fulfilled, to be energized all day long. Everything that we do and everything that we think, we hope to be energized with something that will fill us up. The problem, the certain fulfillment that maybe feel, as the Kabbalah is saying, our vessel, our being, for a second, and then make us even emptier. And other things fill us up in a sustainable way, in a continuous way, in a gradual way, which is happiness. And what I would like to start to, to, to share, and maybe afterwards from your point of view, um, what is the main cause, what is inside of us that gravitate towards things that will bring just temporary happiness and sometimes even might cause chaos and something inside of us that will attract long-term happiness. And that's based on the two sides we all have within us. We have our ego. You can describe the ego as the aspect within us which is the opponent to the soul. So we have ego and we have a soul. The ego is all about instant gratification, being right and not being wrong, willing, winning, having a temporary sugar rush in everything in life, being respected and recognized for something. That's what the ego is all about. And it's a constant driving force. And at the same time, we have a soul. And our soul knows that those temporary rushes of energy is not necessarily what will attract true joy and happiness in our life. So the reason why we struggle in life, in achieving happiness, even though all of us wants to be fulfilled, we all want to be energized, everything that we do, is because very often we're listening to the louder voice of the ego as the driving force in our life. And by listening to the ego, we will get energy. We will win. When something will upset us, we'll react and we'll respond and we'll blame and we'll feel right for a second. But then we feel emptier after a long time. So there's two sides within us. It's not because things happening in the outside, because a person can have a major gift and inheritance and winning the lotto. And it can cause chaos. 
or it can cause joy, depend in what part of me am I responding to him. Am I coming from my ego consciousness or am I coming from a soul consciousness? Maybe to the evening we'll try to understand the differences. I'm going to plagiarize that in my next speech. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> we speak the same language. One of the ways that uh, in my tradition we say that thinking, action, and achievement are engaged in by people for the wrong reason. To gain fulfillment, they think. That if I think clearly, and then I act decisively, and then I get a cluster of achievements, then I'll arrive at this beatific state of fulfillment. And what we discover to our great cost is that fulfillment is not the product of achieving things, because fulfillment is the baseline. It's the place from where the thoughts come. It's the silent place inside you. The source of thought is, in fact, fulfillment. And so then, if we can go into that deep inner silence and experience that fulfillment where it is, beyond thought, then the fulfilled mind moving into thoughts, moving into actions, moving into achievements, it's exporting the happiness. And so then thinking and action and achievement has a completely different purpose. Instead of thinking and acting and achieving in aid of gaining fulfillment, I think and act and achieve so that I can export fulfillment. So instead of being an importer, I'm an exporter. <laughs> and then the, the whole thing rests on knowing a little bit of technique, and this is what I spent my career teaching, how to step beyond thought into that place. That place meaning that deep inner silence, that supreme inner contentedness, which not only is possible to experience, it's actually ridiculously simple, because it actually is your spirit. So we talk in terms of your essence or your spirit being your underlying field of being is you minus all the thoughts. Your conscious mind minus all the thoughts. That is your spirit. And having that experience properly is the use of the word spiritual, your essence. If you're not experiencing your essence, you without the thoughts, then spirituality is dogma. Otherwise, direct experience of that turns it into a practical daily thing that you live. That's what I learned living in India with my master. I would like to ask you, and I'm sure you get this all the time, because I get things like that all the time. What is the, what would you say is the number one misconception about Kabbalah? That it's a very old age and not new age. That's mm -hmm. number one. It's mm -hmm. a 4,000 year old teachings, basically. Yeah. Okay. And that's part of the misconception. The fact that some people that involve with Hollywood and entertainment are involved, that's not what really Kabbalah is all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's number one. And number two is understanding Kabbalah is not a religion. It is universal spiritual teaching. That's the reason I, I, I do not believe that we'll have any disagreement. It's actually sharing same concept from different angles. Yeah. Yeah. 
okay? Because all ancient spiritual teaching, the divine, a bigger than just a smart guy came up with some mm -hmm. ideas, mm -hmm. are all connected. So that's what I would say. I think that if the same question were asked of me, it would be very similar. You know, here I am with my curly beard and my beads. And so then people look at me and think, do I have to be like you if I'm going to practice meditation? And in fact, uh, people from all walks of life do this. And, you know, children can do it and old people can do it and movie stars can do it sometimes. Um, and the average person can easily do it. It's just a matter of learning. As with anything, you learn some technique, but then you have to apply it on a daily basis. And I was fascinated by what we saw in that short of the brain, because as we all know in our field, and we're in the same field, you know, unhappiness is a brain habit, and happiness is a brain habit. And so our physiology and our brains are a conception. Their behavior is conceived and constructed by the kinds of thoughts and experiences that we have every day. And in the same way that if you want to train yourself to be a great athlete or to be a great sports person of some kind, you have to do training in that area in order to be agile and balanced and so on. Likewise, I believe that happiness is brain training. <laughs> You're having a consciousness experience and it trains the brain into how to be in accessing that baseline, the sustainable happiness. And to achieve it, the path of effort, not the path of instant gratification. The path mm -hmm. of, and I would say the effort has to do with attending to practice. Mm -hmm. In my tradition, when we close our eyes to meditate, we let go of effort in order to go beyond thought. But one needs to make an effort in order to let go of effort. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I always say to people, get, you know, because we recommend people practice meditation twice a day and for about 20 minutes. Now you tell the average person they have to do that. And then once they're in the chair, they can be effortless. But getting to the chair, they may have to create a revolution. <laughs> to, to, they can use any amount of effort that's required to get to that chair. Yeah. Once they're in the chair, then the technique is effortless. But getting to the chair, <laughs> and then <laughs> the other thing is, and I'd love to hear your comments on this. Once somebody's practicing and they are beginning to discover that depth inside, the old habits, prior to learning where the fulfillment is, the old habit of continuing to invest in the unsustainable. This is also something that has to be corrected. The intellect has to be corrected. Mm -hmm. You know, one has to learn that even if I'm getting the benefit of discovering the fulfillment place in me, I still have old indoctrination. And that indoctrination is culturally supported by everybody around mm, me. Absolutely. You know, the culture is cheering you on if you're doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And this is a big challenge, you know, and this is why I think that people who are in their personal lives attempting to establish baseline happiness, that baseline happiness, the permanent community is very important, you know, because well, you know, it works for the alcoholics, right? They have to have community um, and, you know, fellowship. But I think that people who are seeking permanent happiness also have to have community and fellowship. 
I agree. I agree. I, I, think, I think something that is essential that always my teacher will share, it's not just how to get that product of happiness. How does happiness connect to my purpose in life? Yeah. That's what I would like to address a little bit. Because at the end of the day, the things that really makes us really happy, that we're getting closer to our true potential, that we do what we're supposed to do in this world. And I would like to raise that big picture topic is, what is the really big picture of, of, of being in this world? And it might take me a few minutes and then, so... I hope so. So, yes. <laughs> Usually it's a 10 weeks it takes. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cause of all causes, the source of all energy, you can call it God, you can call it as the Kabbalists call it the light, or universal force of giving, or infinite energy intelligence of goodness, which is infinite, it's beyond time and space and it's within us. Beautiful. It's the source of all good. And when we're looking for happiness, for joy, for contentment, for miracles, that energy is already within us. Somehow we don't know how to access it. We don't know how to activate that energy, that force, that light that is within us. The same force that allowing my cell to be alive, and the same force that's that giving power to my immune system, and the same force that allows us all to sit and to connect here today, or the same force that allows a sperm and an egg to get together and to have a baby born. So that energy intelligence is one intelligent. It's not God that's sitting on a throne with white beard and pulling the strings and punishing and rewarding. It's one infinite energy intelligence of giving. So why, if that force is such an infinite force of goodness and giving, how come we're not receiving or, or experiencing that fulfillment and joy? Here and there we have 1% and another 1% and another glimpse, but most of the time we struggle. And why? What's the reason? So the basic understanding, and I'm sure you share that same feeling, like attracts like, the laws of affinity. If I want to connect to the light, which is fulfillment, which is my true potential, the infinite blessing that exists within us, I need gradually to become like the light. And if we look at the sins, our ego, our selfishness, is the ruling force, and it, there's a reason for that in our life, there's a distance between us and the light, not physical distance, no affinity, no connection. As long as I'm ruled by my desires for myself alone, as long as I'm ruled by, by reactive nature, that responding reactively to anything that doesn't go my way, I'm actually behaving opposite of the true characteristic of the light. So, Kabbalistically, if a person is unhappy, the simplicity of it, I'm too selfish. That's it. I need to transform my nature from selfish being to altruistic being. And that's go through day-to-day -day practice. That's go through deeper meditation of being able to access that part of me which wants to share. But that's the practical transformation. 
Happiness doesn't come by, I don't believe, by just reading the best book about Buddhism or Kabbalah or study all day long. At the end of the day is gradual transformation of my nature from egoism to altruism, which starts from the basics of how I treating my surrounding. How do I deal with myself when I'm facing challenges? And what's my main goal in life? I can go to classes all day long. And as long as I want to be the same type of self-absorbed human being, and all of us can go to the next level, I will not see changes if I'm not committing myself to a transformation. Because happiness is connection to the light. I want to connect to the light, access the light. If I'm watching now, if I want to watch now NBA game right now, and let's say it is in channel three, and my TV set is tuned to channel four, and I'm upset and aggravated why I cannot watch the game, the Knicks, the answer is change the channel. The same thing, the light is here. It's within each one of us. It's all the time here. But as long as I'm in the ego channel, I'm not connecting to it. Transform the channel. Is it hard? Very. It's gradual. But that's the bigger picture of what life really is all about. You know, the funny thing is, I don't know why they paired the two of us up here on the stage. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like I'm sitting over there talking. <laughs> so, they should have put somebody up here who could argue a little bit. <laughs> complimenting each other. We speak the same language. It's exactly, you know, I mean, the whole approach of learning how to shift your awareness and step out of the habit of constantly attempting to bring happiness from out there and put it in here. And that world out there is changing all the time. And people see, you know, well, I I got the person to love me to behave exactly the same way I need them to behave, so I want to snapshot that and freeze it. Okay, you don't ever have another thought. Just stay right there. Okay, now business, you're working fine too. That's good. Certain amount of income. Let me snapshot that freeze. And, you know, freeze this, freeze that, freeze that, freeze that. Everything's good. The person I want to be in office in the head of state or whatever, that's good. Let's keep that person there. Let's keep this here. Don't think, watch out, you, 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 you better not go to sleep. Exactly. Because this kind of happiness is based on an assumption that I can control the entire changing world and stop it from changing. And we really think that if I'll control it, I'll be happy. Yeah. And, you know, don't go to sleep because the moment you are not controlling it and the whole illusion of control anyway, it's going to start changing. As if we're controlling all the million processes that's happening in the body in every yeah. given second. Yeah. yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this is the futility of the world, which we have to change because, and then getting on to another subject, which I'm sure we're, we're just going to agree on, <laughs> that, is, that this is the big, biggest, most important, most urgent thing in the world today because it's not happy people who become terrorists. It's not happy people who beat their spouses. It's not happy people who rob banks. These are all desperately unhappy people. Mm -hmm. The malaise of the world today, socially and individually, is simply the lack of knowledge of the techniques for discovering baseline happiness and making the sustainable happiness the way. And I believe that this is one of those fabulous 
stories like a novel that's a cliffhanger, it'll end up, I'm an optimist, it'll end up being a good story. But it's only a good story when you almost lose everything. <laughs> almost. And I believe we're on the cusp of almost losing everything. And I don't want to trivialize the pressure of the urgency of that, even though I'm not an optimist, um, I could be wrong. But if you and I don't succeed in helping other people understand what we're talking about up here, and with that, you know, the knowledge spreads and spreads and spreads, and then you have protégés and I have protégés, and in generations, hopefully, there are thousands of us. But if we don't succeed in doing that, the alternative is um, horrible because we live in a world of appalling suffering and appalling unhappiness and an appalling tendency by all kinds of groups, you know, cultural minorities and religious minorities and racial minorities and so on and so forth. There was a time once when we could imagine uh, that governments had control over destruction or not. A government could decide to destroy another country. Now, anybody who wants to go on the internet can learn how to destroy anything they want to destroy. And we live in a world with exceptionally high levels of unhappiness and wrong approaches to trying to get that happiness. We have unfettered access to all the techniques of destruction, and anyone who wants to learn it can learn it. You know, if you ever want to have a sobering experience, just Google the following words, how to make a thermonuclear bomb. And it's actually relatively easy to do. There are hundreds of pages on it. All the details, exactly how to do it. And it doesn't even say, don't try this at home. <laughs> so, you know, all this does is it shines the light on those of us who think we know something that we really, you know, Eitan, you got up at 3.30 and got on a plane at 4.30 and flew all the way over here and hardly slept. I have an advantage. I got, to, I got here on Sunday. <laughs> so I got to sleep a bit. But when, you know, but you travel constantly. I travel constantly. But I think it's very important for us to have protégés because you and I can't do it. And we have that big job. I think it's big, important, and urgent. How's it going? I cannot agree. I cannot, <laughs> I, I, I cannot agree more. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, in, in regards to unhappy people mm -hmm. are the ones that usually will cause damage and hurt and will be hateful. Mm -hmm. I think one of the manifestation, if we look at ourselves, because I think it has to start with us, people who are willing to listen, how to take ourselves to the next level. So you think one of the causes of not being able in the freak, to, to connect to the frequency of happiness or to be in the right place, in the right consciousness, is whenever we have victim consciousness. Mm. Yeah. And we might be in general non-victims, mm -hmm. but when certain challenges happening to us can be just, can be a sickness or can be somebody took advantage in business or can be in a relationship like a disconnect or a split, painful, hurt, we can feel a victim which we're human, so initially we all might undergo that initial state. But when, I've, when I'm a victim, in that moment, I, I, I really do not believe that I'm the cause to make my life better. I believe whatever happened caused me to be miserable or negative, or if it will change, it will make me positive. Yeah. 
And, and usually victim consciousness causes us to do harmful things. By being in that consciousness of blaming others, that instead of, okay, maybe the other person was not okay or unfair, but two questions I need to ask myself. What can I do about it? What can I learn from this? Because being in a victim consciousness and being a giver doesn't go together. And as we said before, if I can face a challenge and eventually turn, go to a process of turning it from victim to how can I take myself to my next level of giving? What can I learn about my own selfishness? What can I learn about my own judgment? What can I learn about my own need for instant gratification? Then I'll take myself to the next level. And about the other thing that you said about the collective state of where the world is, Kabbalistically, eventually, will be peace on earth, no matter what. Will be peace on earth. Peace on earth means all of us will access our true potential and our true essence, which is receiving for the sake of sharing, which is feeling each other needs as if I'm feeling my own needs. Eventually we'll access our true potential. But there's two ways it's gonna happen. It's either through proactive transformation or through pain, individually or collectively. After September 11, or after hurricane that we just faced here in New York, did people, were people nicer to each other or more rude towards each other? Nicer. Somehow chaos has its force to cleanse us, to awaken us. And the reason we are now in an urgent time as far as raising our own consciousness and others is because What's the other option? Chaos will raise our consciousness. It's either proactive awakening or pain, suffering, disconnect. And actually, Kabbalistically, in the worst, I'll give you even numbers without getting to the why now, but Kabbalistically, in the worst case scenario, the global transformation will happen in 223 years from now, 27 years, in the worst case scenario. In the best case scenario, it can happen today. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's so. But I, if we'll wait so long, it means major holocausts. I shouldn't uh, be even faintly surprised that our traditions say the same thing. <laughs> I shouldn't be. But uh, my tradition talks about that an age of enlightenment as potential has already started, mm -hmm, and that it will come to its crescendo is unconditional. It's mm -hmm. going to happen no matter what. Absolutely. But there are the two ways of getting there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly the same story. You know, the child keeps going and putting the hairpin inside the electric power point and the mother says, no, no, no. And he looks and keeps doing it and she goes, no, no. Eventually he's going to follow what mother is saying. There's the painful way. <laughs> and there's the non-painful way. But that the age of enlightenment is upon us and its time is here, that's unconditional. Mm -hmm. And I think then looking at it from that point of view, uh, it's our job to facilitate the easy way. <laughs> Absolutely. And otherwise, you know, I could go and open a hardware store in Kansas um, and feed my family probably better than I can being a meditation teacher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you could do the same. 
but it's incumbent on us to to act. And I didn't plan my life this way. I was supposed to be a psychologist or something. I'm sure you were supposed to be something a else. Photographer. Was a photographer. A photographer. A photographer was it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how interesting. <laughs> and you know, we have our own kind of idea. And then nature's intelligence takes over and says, actually, you're going to be doing this. And you get your arm twisted a little bit here and there, and eventually you say, okay, okay, I get it. I'll do it. <laughs> but uh, we need help. We need help. We need help. Imagine, let's speak about one principle that we spoke that maybe we can increase our level of our happiness, lasting happiness, for a little bit. So we spoke about the concept of giving, for example, okay? And again, giving as many levels. The fact, one, I'm helping other people, but actually the most important thing, I'm raising my consciousness, which allowing to reveal more light, and the light or that energy is not just for me, it's for the entire, for the surrounding, for my house, for everyone else. So as my teacher would say, the only reason I will take upon myself to be more giving than yesterday, I have to know I need it myself. If I'll do it as a charity, I'll never be persistent about it. To help others, I'm a righteous person, I'm here to save the world. But if I know that I need it for my own being, for my own joy, for my own fulfillment, for my own elimination of chaos in my life, that's a great beginning. And it's not considered to be a selfish thing. <laughs> so waking up in the morning, I'm not sure what's the rules here, but I'll ask you a question, okay? <laughs> Waking up in the morning, what is the natural tendency? What does the first thoughts come to our mind? Coffee. Coffee. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges of the day. The challenges of the day. There's challenges you wake up right away about one, two, three, business, relationship. I'm tired. Snooze button. <laughs> <laughs> But, but it's interesting because if we're not making a conscious effort to drive my mind, my brain, my body, the direction of myself during the day, the winning force will be the opponent within. The ego, the opponent within. Imagine, we want another two minutes to sleep, to push the stool, just another two minutes. Is that going to change it? <laughs> Really, it will give us more energy. One hour, I understand. Half an hour, I understand. But one minute will make a difference. <laughs> Is the opponent within us wants to win, wants to begin the day with selfishness, with comfort, with instant way to please my body. But imagine you planned in the night before. I want to start with the day with adding value, creating energy, waking up to the day regardless of the challenges, with the attitude, how can I share with another person? In a small way, in a big way, things that will come to me, ideas that will come to me, that's my intention. To start the day that way, already setting me in a consciousness that will attract opportunity to be a giver. And as long as people do not understand, and we do not understand, I need it more than the receiver. Not that I need them to say thank you, that's how I'm connecting to the universal force of goodness. So if we can all start in that level and understanding there's a challenge, it's easy in theory, but I'll wake up tomorrow morning, I'll forget about what I just shared. The opponent is the first one that comes to mind. I need to be aware and say, shut up. I don't want to listen to you. But I'm embracing you because I know you are there to help me to grow. It's providing a contrast point. 
Exactly. So I'm glad that's there because I just have to go in that direction instead. Exactly. It's not about, it's not about the, actually, it's interesting, the part of the Kabbalist thing is decodifying the five books of Moses, mm -hmm. not as a religion, as a code for understanding life. So there's a story about Joseph, and Joseph was seduced by the wife of his boss, one of the ministers of Pharaoh. And actually, he liked her very much, and he was very attracted. And she tried to seduce him again and again, and eventually she really grabbed him, and, and he wanted to be with her, but he ran away. And from that moment, he names Joseph the righteous. So the Kabbalists explain, you would think a righteous person is a person who doesn't care. Well, I'm, she's so below me, I'm not interested. I'm not attracted at all, no. Moment of righteousness, which all of us can connect with, is moment of transformation, of wanting to do the short-term fulfillment, but overcoming it. That two forces, that moment of overcoming, that's what actually reveal our true potential. So it's not just I'm a natural giver. That moment of overcoming is what attracts blessings in our life. This is the lesson of transcendence. Mm -hmm. you, you go where you are not. This is what my master taught us, mm -hmm. you know, so you find yourself wherever you are, you go where you are not and go where you are not meant, you know, you're experiencing this, now go to that. It's, uh, this is the habit that has to be cultured in someone who intends to have a permanent state of baseline Absolutely. happiness. Jay Gurudev, if you're enjoying these podcasts, I'll spend a moment talking about how you can make your individual contribution to the group effort of these podcasts. If you're enjoying this and feel that you're getting something from it, there's a way you can help us make this commercial free. Go on my website, look up the link for the podcasts, and make an individual donation. Thank you.